Well, as always, it is a joy of mine to be able to stand in this pulpit, be able to open up the, the Bible, open up the Word of God uh, with all of you. And, and today we're going to continue in a, in a kind of a small series that we began last week in walking through one of the most beloved passages in all of the Bible. Right? The kids are excited. <laughs> I can feel it. But it's one of the most beloved texts in all of the Bible. It's Psalm 23. Psalm 23 which is on page 458 if you're using one of those black uh, ESV pew Bibles around the room. And as I mentioned last week, one of the reasons why we love this beloved psalm is because it speaks to a lot of the realities in which we do have as human beings. That's why even um, outside of the church, culture, songs, movies, you can see this psalm being incorporated into all kinds of different arenas or avenues. But the psalm in particular has brought great comfort to people in what type of situations? Difficult situations. Times of maybe suffering or sickness or death. This psalm has been read, has been prayed, has been held on to by thousands and thousands of Christians for thousands of years. And that's all for good reasons, right? Because maybe, maybe you're, you're feeling that today. Maybe you feel like, hey, I, I don't know exactly what God is doing in my life. Or maybe you're going through some sickness. Maybe you're going through some suffering. Even in our, in our prayer time before service this morning, it, it felt like there's just this hand of cancer that seems to be, everybody's walking through in some ways. Whether it's themselves or a loved one. And it's times in your life when, when there seems to be maybe sickness or cancer in particular, you go, okay, God, what are you doing in this moment? What are you doing in my life? What do I do? What do I say? How do I talk to you about these things? This psalm is an answer to many of those. Because truthfully, usually if we're not going to a place like Psalm 23, we're still talking. We're still communicating. We're still praying. But oftentimes, it's to ourselves. And we begin to uh, basically lay out certain lies that we believe, certain things that we try to communicate and tell our own souls to, to get through seasons, and, and really they're lies. They're lies. And here's just a couple of them. The first lie, and this is just something that I've been thinking about this week. The first lie that we tend to think, you know, tell ourselves, we don't know it's a lie at the time, but it's the, uh, I can get through this. I can do this on my own. I can fix myself. If I just work hard enough, right? If I just get the right things in place, then it'll be smooth sailing. Then I'll have my life together. I can fix myself because I'm a, basically a pretty good person, right? I've never met anybody that's claimed perfection in this life. But I have met plenty of people that say, you know, I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty dang good. I'm pretty dang good. You know, and that's all I've been comparison of who are you comparing yourself to you know by whose definition are you good even those people who know that they're not perfect though they'll say yeah i got some issues you know i got some tendencies i have some patterns in my life that i want to fix but i know that i can fix myself i can do better i can figure this thing out i don't need anybody i don't need the crutch of anyone or anything including jesus or christianity it's all about fixing yourself. There's a lot of people that, that hold to that. 
Now, the second lie, though, is people that have tried that route and have found that it's empty. Now, no matter how hard that they work, no matter how much they did, they go, I can't fix myself. I must be broken, completely broken, unfixable. Because if I can't fix myself, if I can't take whatever self-help is being popular at the time and, and get my life back on track, it must be because I am so far gone that there's no hope. Maybe it's based off of what you have done in this life. Maybe it's things that have been done to you. But ultimately, what you will tell yourself is, the path that I am on, the path that I've been walking, I simply can't get off. This is just the hand that has been dealt to me. I will always be this way. And often when, I, when you interact with people that are in that kind of state, usually what they turn is just to start numbing themselves from the realities of life. Maybe just start engaging in all kinds of superficial, surface-level things because at least if I just give myself to that, then I don't ever have to think about anything deeper in my life. It's a lie. Both of those are lies. Both the, I can fix myself or I am unfixable. And I believe that Psalm 23 addresses both of those realities. As I mentioned, Psalm 23 is a Psalm of David. Psalm of David, if you know his history, you know that David was a very broken man, had very highs, big highs, and also big lows. Big lows in his life. But yet here in Psalm 23, we are seeing a confession of him. That he's saying, you know what, Lord? You are my shepherd. You are my shepherd. I shall not want. Because I think David... Truthfully, and you can read about this in other psalms and even throughout his life. I think David, at different times in his life, he fell in one of those two categories of lies. Believing that he had it all together or believing that he was so far gone that God couldn't do anything about it. So this confession that was likely recorded when David wrote this down towards the end of his life is he's just recounting the goodness of what God can do. And as we learned last week, the shepherd of Psalm 23 is the good shepherd of Jesus. The good shepherd, which Jesus says that he is in John 10. So I pray for us as a church, as we begin to just to look at verses three and four this morning, where we're going to spend our time, is that you will see just the work of a good shepherd and what he's able to do, no matter what spectrum we find ourselves in. Maybe if you started off in one area, but yet you find yourself in another even later today. I know for me, I go back and forth all the time. But the good shepherd is not done and he doesn't take any of those approaches. He takes his own. But let's go ahead and just stop there for a moment. Let me pray. I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray for our kids. And I ask, as I'm praying um, for you and for the kids, will you just pray for me? Pray for me and as I preach the word that we would be able to rightly understand Jesus and rightly understand the God in whom we're here to worship. So let's go ahead and bow our heads and pray together. Well, Father, I, I'm so thankful. I'm so thankful for your word. I'm so thankful for a text like Psalm 23 that just stores away these, these beautiful aspects of, of who you are and what you do. And so, God, I pray for every, every person in this room this morning, even for those who are, aren't able to join us but maybe listening. But God, that you would just give them just illumination to be able to see the text. 
God, you've revealed who you are, but I pray that, Holy Spirit, that you would just allow that to come alive this morning in each of our hearts. That we would see that this is not just for some king thousands of years ago, but this is for every son and daughter of the king of kings. God, I also pray for our kiddos. God, I pray for our teachers as they just lead them and point them to Jesus also. That as they're looking at some of these, these promises that God, that you have made in the Old Testament, that they're just their little hearts and their little minds would be awakened for their need for you in the goodness of who you are, Lord. What a gift it is to be able to disciple them. So God, be with us. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so if you have your Bibles, or it'll be up on the screen as well. Let's go ahead, and I'm going to read for us Psalm 23 in its entirety. It's only six verses. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides the waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Church, that is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So last week when I introduced this psalm to us, I discussed that although David was a king, likely when he wrote this, at one point he was a literal shepherd, a literal shepherd. And so he is drawing upon his own experiences as a shepherd, but also the language of the Bible where God constantly is describing himself as a shepherd to communicate that our God, the God of the Bible, The God of all creation is a God who leads and protects and sustains and does everything that a good shepherd does. And here's why that's significant. Because if we think about those two lies that we can often find ourselves believing, the only way to be able to move away from those is if you are being led. If you are being led away from lives and back to the truth. It's not meant to for you just to figure it out on your own right, because that's to fix it myself, or just to somehow just stay where you're at and God doesn't care. But both of those realities are addressed by a good shepherd, a good shepherd. And so when we think about those two lies, how often, how often do we immediately go to, well, this is, this is what I'm going to do about the situation, or maybe you're going through a hard time. Maybe, maybe it's yourself, a family member. Maybe this is a pattern of sin in your life, and yet you quickly go to, okay, what am I going to do about this? What am I going to do about this? Now, there's a place for that, absolutely. But hear me on this. Do we often, though, ask ourselves, well, what is God capable of doing in this situation? What is he going to do about this? Because maybe it's not just about us. Or maybe if you're like me, you, you can think about what God is going to do about this or what he's doing, but you tend to do it maybe in, a, in an accusatory way, right? Like you throw up your hands and go, God, where are you? What are you doing? 
I don't understand this at all. Are you, are you paying attention at all to what is going on in my life? Don't you care? I've said those words. I've said those exact words. I think David himself thought those same thoughts, said those same words, probably at different points in his life. And yet, at this moment, despite maybe all of those experiences, despite all of saying that or, or partaking in that in some ways, look at verse 3. What does David say? He says, he restores my soul. He restores my soul. Now, at first, this seems a little bit out of place. Right? And this is where we have to, even if you're familiar with the psalm, right, we, have to, we have to think about this just with the, the, the most fresh eyes that we can. Right? David has been using this language of shepherd. Right, The Lord is my shepherd. It's like the Lord is going to lead me to green pastures. He's going to lead me beside still waters. Right, That language of sheep and shepherd, we get. We understand that. Like, okay, I'm tracking with you, David. But then he, all of a sudden he goes to start talking about his soul. My soul? He restores my soul? David, what? I thought we were talking about sheep and shepherd. What, what, are you, what are you trying to communicate in this moment? Now, I, in, my, in my studies this week, it was really, really helpful to be able to dig into the, kind of the original Hebrew language that, that Psalm 23 was written in. Because that phrase, he restores my soul, in the Hebrew language, it's kind of like a, a, an idiom of sort where it can have a few different meanings. There's, this translation is good and right, but sometimes it, cannot, it won't communicate the, the things that we really want it to, or, or it, it doesn't fully encompass everything which the Hebrew language will say. For example, another good translation of this that you could put in is that Instead of he restores my soul, it could say he brings me to salvation. Or he brings me to repentance. Or he brings me to life. Or also good ways to look at this in the original Hebrew. But I think David is, is trying to communicate something very particular to us. To us. Because that word soul, the word soul, and Philip Keller in his book on Psalm 23 really shed some light on this, that word soul can also be translated life. Right? It's the same word, same Hebrew word. So if we were to look at then, okay, if David's using the language of sheep and shepherd and he goes that he restores my life, what could possibly be David be talking about in that moment? I think David is talking about how a sheep sometimes needs its life to be restored to it. Another way of putting that is sometimes a sheep can get into a place where it is called it's cast down. This is a term to describe what can happen to, to um, livestock, particularly with sheep. Now, for a sheep to be, to be cast down or to be casted, it's when a, a sheep basically lies down in, in some type of, of, of pasture where there's some uh, depression, and it's just basically lying down and resting. But what could happen is as a sheep kind of stretches and uh, you know, just lays out, it can lose its sense of balance. And because of where it's laying and, and basically the ground around it, it can um, unfortunately roll onto its back where its center of gravity is totally misplaced. And when that happens, it's called a sheep being cast down or a sheep being casted. When that happens, this sheep is completely vulnerable. It can't 
save itself. It can't help itself. Imagine this sheep is basically on its back with its legs sticking up in the air. It has no ability in and of itself to roll back over and get onto its feet. And so what would happen then, this is important, what would happen is basically the, the circulation that would go to the legs starts depleting, right? And then also, based off of a sheep's anatomy, it would have these gases start building up in the rumen or the stomach of a sheep, causing a lot of major issues for a sheep. And so when a sheep is cast down, sometimes it could be a matter of only a few hours and that sheep could die, maybe a day or so at most. But oftentimes, it only took a matter of a few hours for a sheep to die if they get cast down in a pasture. And the only way for a sheep to survive than being cast down is if a, if a shepherd comes along and picks the sheep up and puts it back onto its feet. Back on feet. So David is using that language to say, he restores my life. He the shepherd knows when his sheep are cast down and is able to step in. Spiritually, we understand the connection here, right? Jesus is the good shepherd of our souls because he knows that our souls can get into the same situation, get to a spot where we are in a rut, where we cannot fix ourselves. We are not able to. We're not meant to. But the promise here of Psalm 23 is that he restores souls. Now, just a couple of weeks ago, in our responsive readings as we've been walking through the Psalms, uh, which we just read, a couple of weeks ago, we read Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Now, I'll have this on the screen as well, but let's go ahead and look at this. Look at the language that the psalmist uses. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation, and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you. From the land of Jordan and of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. So what's the psalmist saying? He's saying what we know is true based off of Psalm 23. That for a cast down soul, the only option is if, if somebody else comes along and picks you up and puts you on your feet. And that someone is the good shepherd. He's the one who restores souls. Now, let me just speak to, to us then. So that means if you're here this morning and you feel like, I, mean, I feel like my soul could be just cast down. I feel like I'm in this place in my life where I feel just in a rut, like I can't fix it. I can't fix it. I want to, but I'm incapable of doing it. That no matter how hard I try, I still feel stuck. And, and being cast down as a person, can come through a lot of different ways. It can come from unrepentant sin, right? It could come just of times of deep trial, unforeseen hardship, or even just spiritual depression. Why, why soul, are you cast down? Why do you, are you on your back, unable to get yourself up? You didn't intend to get there, but yet that's where you find yourself. Or maybe it's not you. Maybe as I'm, I'm explaining this, you go, you know, I think this is, this is where my family member's at. This is where my loved one's at. This is where my daughter, my mom, my grandpa, is even though they would never use that language of being cast down, probably, you could just see it in their own life. 
And you so desperately want to help them, right? You so desperately want to be the person that can put, pick them up and put them back on their feet. But guess what? That's not your role. That's not your role. That's the role of the shepherd. He is the one who restores souls. And this phrase is not mine. I stole it from somebody else. But if we're always trying to be the savior for others, then we never allow Jesus to be. We all need the good shepherd. We can't be the good shepherd for other people. We have to let the good shepherd be the shepherd and, and trust him. That for those who, who know him, for love him, have been saved by him, this is a promise for every Christian that he restores my soul. He restores my soul. But I think Jesus even turns this to even more than that. And he talks about this in a parable in Luke chapter 15. You guys can go ahead and turn there if you want. But it's page 874 if you're using one of those Black Pew Bibles. It's going to be on the screen as well. But Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 1, Jesus is talking with the tax collectors. And look what he says in verse 15. He says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. What is Jesus saying? Right, he's unpacking this reality of the good shepherd, that he is the one that never leaves a sheep behind, that he's constantly counting and looking for his sheep because a good shepherd would always be on the lookout and counting his sheep because he, he knows that he has, he has 100 sheep and 99 are with him, that there's one missing and that one might be missing because it's downcast, because it's stuck, it's lost, and it does not have the ability to get back to the fold on its own. So what, is, what does the good shepherd do? He goes and finds it. He goes and finds his sheep. He knows who are his and what is the, that language of he picks it up and he carries it? Like any downcast sheep, depending on how long you were downcast and you had that, that loss of blood flow to your legs, even if the, the shepherd were to turn you right side up and put you on your feet, you wouldn't have the strength to stand. You wouldn't have the strength to be able to then immediately be able to follow the shepherd. So what does a good shepherd do? You guys can picture this in your mind, right? He throws the sheep on his shoulders and starts walking back to the fold. And there might be a time where he goes, yeah, you've been walking with me, I've been carrying you. You know, let me, let me let you walk a little bit more, but it's always under the strength of the shepherd, always under the one who's saying, basically saying to, to him and to saying to every sinner, even though you've been lost, even though you've been stuck, I have not forgotten you. I have not moved on. I have not counted you someone unworthy to go and follow or to go pick up and have you follow me. He always goes after the lost. <clears throat> so maybe even if you've followed Jesus for a long time, 
and you feel like this, this language of cast down is really describing the way that you feel right now, there's good news for you. The shepherd's coming. He comes in his own timing. He comes in his own way, but he is always coming. He is always coming. Or maybe you don't even know you're lost, right? You don't even know you're downcast. I knew that that was true for me. I didn't even know that I was lost until Jesus one day, all of a sudden, it felt like he just picked me up and put me right side up and said, you're mine. You are mine. Come with me. Come with me. He never loses someone that belongs to him. And what does the church do? Or what, is, what does heaven do when it sees this? When it sees the good shepherd bringing back a lost sheep to its fold? It celebrates, right? It's joyous. It's momentous. The angels are rejoicing. So when we do baptism here in just, in just a little bit at the end of service, we're going to celebrate Because what baptism is is a picture of that very reality that God had a sheep and he went and found him and brought him back. And we're going to celebrate that as a church when we just simply remember that reality. For others, though, even as I've explained this, it it can grieve your heart a little bit because you know that you're in the spot where you're waiting or you know a loved one is in the spot and you're waiting. And all I can say to that, just as as one of your pastors, is it's a promise here that he says he restores my soul. He doesn't say, I hope he does, or maybe if I do enough good things, or maybe if I get my act together, he'll restore my soul. He simply says, if you're lost, if you're downcast, he restores my soul. So take heart. Trust him. Maybe that's what God is doing even right now. He's just opening up your own mind to go, I need to trust him in this moment. I need to trust him with my family member. I need to trust him with my own soul. It's a good place to be. Not an easy place to be, but a good place to be. So the good shepherd restores souls no matter what. As I mentioned, another way to to translate he restores my soul is it could be he causes me to repent or he causes me to turn. As he, as he restores my life, right? Because that's what repentance is. Repentance is just a, it's a, a $10 theological word that means to turn from sin and turn to Christ. That's what repentance is. And I think there's this aspect of repentance, at least being able to be turned from one direction to another, because look at the end of verse three. It says, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So he calls us to follow him. He calls us to follow him because why? Because his ways are good. His ways are right. But also it's because he knows where he's going. He knows where he's going. Who else can be described as someone who has walked the path of righteousness? See, Jesus is the only one who's actually truly ever walked the path of righteousness. The only one who has walked this life on earth without ever sinning. Without ever sinning. So he knows where he's going. So I think Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way. Right? I am the way, the truth, the life, that no one comes to the Father except through who? Me. Through me. Because he knows the way. He leads me in paths of righteousness. He reads me. 
Remember, sheep do not navigate on their, on their own very well. Sheep are not built with that capability. They get lost, as we do. And Jesus picks up these distressed sheep and he says, follow me, follow me. Not for you, not because of that you're awesome, but for my name's sake, for my name's sake. It goes back to the glory of him. It goes back to the glory of him. He is leading you and you are following him out of response to what he has already done. What he's already done. So for every Christian, that, that repentance or that churning and trusting and following Jesus is done for whose glory? For his glory. I love how the Apostle Paul said it. Um, he was talking to the church in Corinth. And he says, okay, because they were, they, were, they were having issues on basically who to brag about, who to boast about for a Christian's life. And Paul says, okay, you want to boast? You want to brag about somebody? Boast in the Lord. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Because who's the one who restored your soul? The shepherd. Jesus. So he will lead us. He will lead us in paths of righteousness. And then hear me on this, though. Even to places we may not want to go. The path of righteousness might be, and often is, according to this text, place that we would not want to go. Look at verse 4. He says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. They comfort me. So what is David saying? What is he pointing out? That a good shepherd will lead his sheep even to places that that sheep would not want to go on its own power for its own purposes. In shepherding terms, right, sheep had to be moved to different pastures all the time. Right? One, to, to not overgraze, overgraze a certain area, but also because it is healthy for a sheep to be able to move around to different pastures. Now, in, in the East, oftentimes where the best pasture land uh, for a, a flock to be able to go to was in these high pasture places. So these, these high mountainous plateaus where the green grass pastures would be at. And the only way for a, a sheep or a flock to get to these, these pastures is to travel through these valleys, right? To be able to go through these valleys to be able to make it to these other green pastures. Now, why does... Why does David then used the language that as you walk through these valleys that he refers to them as the shadow of death. Or maybe your translation says the valley of death. Well, because these valleys were dangerous places for a sheep. They were dangerous. Oftentimes, these, they were very steep. So there was different drop-offs, maybe, uh, you know, different carved out areas where it just wasn't easy to get in out of. Maybe there was, there was cliffs or canyons that a sheep could easily fall into and break a leg and die. There's also the risk of flash floods that when you were in one of these deep valleys that at any moment if a storm broke out that whole flock could be washed away. 
Also, that these valleys are known for their predators. Knowing that the sheep would eventually pass through here, that predators such as lions or bears or, or other, you know, other, other predators would basically wait in some of the different uh, taverns or caves in, in these valleys to be able to pounce on sheep as they came through. So it often would get the nickname is these are shadows of death. Shadows of death because this is where the sun did not shine. Both literally and figuratively. But what I want to point out is what David says here is that you are, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. So David has this idea that, no, you're going to go, you're going to walk through these. Even though you have a good shepherd, even though he restores your soul, even though he leads you in paths of righteousness, you might still be walking through these dangerous areas. These dangerous areas. So we shouldn't be surprised then in our own lives if we feel like we're walking through a valley, right? That we're walking through times of suffering, times where it just seems like death is imminent or right around the corner. But the promise of Psalm 23 is that you're going to walk through them. Through them. That means there's an end, that it doesn't get the last word. So they're not. Church, when there's, it seems like just you're going the wrong direction, it feels like or you just feel like you're surrounded with darkness, it doesn't necessarily mean that, that you're not going exactly where God is calling you to go. That he's not leading you in that exact area to be led in. Because even though these are surrounded by danger and death, what also can be found often in valleys? Springs of water. Springs of water. You know, to get to these high pastures, a sheep would expend a ton of energy and stamina. And so a good shepherd, knowing in order to get there, not only do we have to walk through these valleys, but we need to stop and rejuvenate ourselves at the life-giving water springs. So even though, even though if you find yourself in just a deep, dark vision or valley, the, the vision here of what David is saying is that that could be exactly where God is leading because he's going to rejuvenate you in a way that you would not be rejuvenated if you went a different route. And sometimes the best care, I think sometimes the best perception of even care happens in those darkest moments of our life. Those darkest moments. So it's not a wrong turn. It's not a misstep. It might be exactly where God has led you for his name's sake. Remember that. For his name's sake. So David points out, that even though I walk through these areas, he says, I will fear no evil. It's not because there's nothing to fear, but because his shepherd is with him. Look at even the language that, that David seems to use here in verse 4. Because he's been saying, he right, makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. But yet when he starts talking about this valley of death, he goes, but you, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I think what David is saying is, I can feel it. It's like I'm looking at it right now. I can see your rod. I can see your staff. They are comforting me, Lord. And how true is that? How true is that? That you have never seen God's hand and his tools for restoring you ever more clearly than when you were in those valleys, have you? 
It is often the time of the greatest spiritual growth is because you have nothing else to turn to. You have no other temptation to say, I got this. But you're looking right at your shepherd saying, I need you. I can see your rod. I can see your staff. And they are comforting me. And, so, and what is a rod and staff, right? To, to just explain you know, what this is. A, so a, a rod would have been more like a club, um, you know, basically a shorter stick that a shepherd would use to protect the sheep from different predators. Often something that the, the shepherd would have gotten very skilled in throwing at things that were trying to attack sheep. But also, if anything got too close, the shepherd could go to town with his rod, right? Basically be able to, to beat away anything that was threatening the sheep. It was not meant for the sheep. It was meant for those threatening the sheep. But the staff, that was meant for the sheep. Now, the staff is like the shepherd's staff that you're probably thinking of, right? The long stick with a curved edge, maybe a crook at the end. And what a staff would be used for is for to basically help guide the sheep, especially when you're in these areas where it has to stay on the right path. If it doesn't stay on the right path here, it could easily fall into a, a bad spot and get hurt deeply. And so a staff would be used to simply guide the sheep in narrow passages. Another way to think about it too is uh, that, that hook on the end was used to be able to pick up sheep if they did accidentally fall off. Maybe fell off the path. Maybe got themselves in a bad situation. It's, it's not uncommon um, even in the East today to see sheep get stuck in these thorn bushes. Right? Because they would see the little grass sticking out at the end. And so they'd go up and start nibbling at the, at the green grass that's, that's on the outside of the, the thorn bush. And they would like what they're you know, eating and having. And so they keep pushing into the thorn bush. And pretty soon, you're so into the thorn bush that those thorns have locked themselves into the sheep's wool that now the sheep can't pull itself out. It can't get out on its own. The shepherd's staff would be able to reach in there and be able to pull that sheep out to safety. So David is picking up on his understanding of the rod and staff and saying, they comfort me. They comfort me because I know that you are going to be able to use those tools for my safety, to protect me and also to guide me, to guide me. And for us as Christians, what do we have do we have the same thing? Is there areas in the Bible where God says, hey, compare this to a weapon that protects you? Maybe compare it to a sword, the word of God. So church, one of the, one of the ways that I love how, how the Bible describes itself is it's, it says it's, a, it's the, a sharp sword, something that's used to protect and to guide and to help those who are trying to follow Jesus. And so even if we are walking through a valley of death, if you belong to Christ, there is good news. You have comfort in the one who's walking right alongside of you. Right? He doesn't say, hey, good luck in there. I'll see you on the other side. No. You are with me. You comfort me. It wouldn't be comforting if the shepherd was up on the hillside away from the sheep. But it would be comforting if the shepherd was right next to me. That's what we have in Christ. That's why when Jesus, before he ascended back to heaven, and he told the disciples, I want you to go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, he gives them that promise at the end. Do you remember it? For I will be with you always. Always. That is good news. 
That is good news. And I hope you're seeing this, church. I hope you're seeing this in Psalm 23. That this psalm is not just about hard times. It's absolutely for that, but it's not just about that. It's a picture of what Jesus does day in and day out. That he never stops being a shepherd, huh? That he never stops being with his people. That he never stops going after the lost. That he never is taken back by a soul that is cast down. But what does these verses say? What does he do? He restores them. He leads them. He comforts them. What grace is that? That's the God. That's the shepherd of Psalm 23. That's the good shepherd of Jesus. And that's why if you're not a Christian, or maybe you're not sure where you're at, you wouldn't necessarily identify yourself as a Christian, one, you're welcome here for as long as you want. But this is what we want you to know and understand. This is why we follow Jesus. This is why when, when Jesus lived the perfect life and when he went to the cross to die, not for his sins, but for our sins, we had an understanding of just the kind of shepherd that he is. The shepherd that would lead and protect and guide, but yet also die for his sheep so that we may live. So no matter how far that you've gone, or maybe how lost maybe you think you are, you can't outrun God. You can't. And I think for all of us, God is using this time in Psalm 23 to just draw us back to him, to draw us back to to him being a shepherd, to draw us back to be able to behold the one who has come, the one who is still with us, the one who gave his life, the one who has walked the ultimate valley of death and has come out the other side, right? The ultimate valley of death where Jesus went through it and death could not hold him. And he defeated it. And so we can say along with Paul and every Christian, death has lost its sting because of what Jesus has done. It's a great exchange where Jesus took our life and went to the cross with it and gave us his life and said, I have walked the path. I have walked the path of perfect righteousness. So when you're following me, you're not doing it on your own merits. You're not doing it to get anything from me. You're simply doing it because I've already given you everything in my life. So what does the, the, the shepherd of Psalm 23 do? He restores, he leads, he comforts. That's the good shepherd of Psalm 23. And I pray that that's the shepherd of every soul in this room. What a gift that is. Let's go ahead and stop there. Um, I'm excited to finish this up in verses 5 through 6 next week. But I think we have enough to simply ponder on for a lifetime. But certainly for the next seven days. So let's go ahead and stop there. If you guys just please pray for me or pray with me. And then we'll move into a few other uh, things for us as a church. Well, Father, I just want to end our time in, in your word by coming to you in prayer. God, we pray that everything in which we just read about you, about what you are doing, what you're capable of, what you continue to do to this day, that that would just become evident in each and one of our hearts. And that, God, that we would all hold fast to the promise that you restore souls wherever we find ourselves this morning. So, God, I pray just deeply for those things. And I thank you for your word. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Well, church, what we want to do is what we're, going to, we're going to sing a couple songs in just response uh, to what we just read and went through in Psalm 23. Uh, the first song is simply called Psalm 23. It's just a, a song that uh, just kind of walks through these, these verses. Then the next song is going to be All I Have is, is Jesus or All I Have is Christ. Just pointing to this reality that when we are downcast, all I need is Christ. Because he's the one who comes and restores. And then after that, we're going to go in time of baptism. Um, where we have Dan ready to go uh, for baptism. His wife, Linda, is going to help me. But I also want to just simply open it up. If, if you've never been baptized as a believer and you want to get baptized today, if you want to profess your faith in Christ, that you, you believe that Jesus is the good shepherd of Psalm 23 and you have an understanding of what he has done, um, we can baptize you today. We've got, we got to change the clothes for you. So don't worry about that. We got towels. We got everything ready. Or maybe if you're not saying, hey, I don't know if I'm ready to do it today, but I'd like to talk to somebody about it. Please find me after service. I would love to talk to you about baptism and why every believer is commanded to get baptized in response to what Jesus has done in their life. But let's go ahead and let's stand together and let's sing this first song, Psalm 23.